Welcome back to Killer Fun, where we explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. I'm Christy. And I'm Jackie. And we're so glad that you're back with us today. Today, we are going to talk about the documentary from 2016, Tickled. (laughs) (laughs) And Jackie laughs. Competitive endurance tickling is unusual and not really a thing. It's not really a thing. It's not. Hence why Killer Fun is covering the documentary. (laughs) Yeah, because why would we be talking about a fairly obscure fetish of tickling? Yeah. We're not that kind of podcast usually. No. And but it is described as a documentary slash mystery. Mm hmm. And I'd like to add slash crime. Uh, Yeah. Yes, because there's plenty of crime in there's here. There's plenty of crime. There's oh, on so many levels of crime. It officially opened in the U.S. in June of 2016, but it premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in January of that year. And the worldwide gross was fairly low, just uh, yeah. $800,000. But it became an HBO documentary. They got the TV rights for it, basically. It was distributed by Magnolia Pictures, so... In the theaters and home video distributions yeah, done big deal. by yeah, and of course those the sum of those agreements not disclosed, so we don't know. We don't know, but they are they are making money because they definitely yeah. didn't spend that much. No, no. you know if you just no. look it up, the well, box office is is at nine twenty three thousand. Oh, okay. So I mean, like uh, it's inching up over time, which means they're at least making money, and they should for having to have seen all of what they seen <laughs> for what they had to look at. <laughs> yes, um, everyone appears as themselves, some more willingly than others. <laughs> true there are no actors in this so um are you ready for me to try and recap this in five minutes yes i can't wait to hear the five minute recap okay i haven't practiced this one so i'm a little you less shouldn't calm. because the more you do it the more disgusted you might become so no just go in fresh knock it out this is another one of those that i'm like if anybody looks at my search history <laughs> Now they're going to think I'm a pervert. Previously, they're going to think I'm trying to poison somebody or murder somebody or how to bury a body. I just... This is is hard. And you know what? I can't imagine if if the listeners are listening right now and they don't know anything about Tickled and listening to our our like pre-conversation here, they got to be like... What the heck are they talking about? Okay, so let's... Buckle your (laughs) seatbelt. Sit down. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) Sentence it. All right, so David Ferrier is a pop culture reporter who has made a career in New Zealand out of covering, like, bizarre, strange, the weirdest stories he can find. So on his web search... He finds what he thinks has got to be his next story. There is a monthly event by Jane O'Brien Media, Competitive Endurance Tickling. They give flights to Los Angeles. They put people up in swanky hotels for like four nights. There's cash payment prizes. It's difficult to tell, but they're guaranteed a payment of cash. And they are looking for fit young men willing to participate. They film it. 
They call them audition tapes, and the participants are told that the videos are for private use. We'll get back to that. <laughs> so David, figuring that this niche, quote-unquote, sport might like uh, some coverage and would fit his brand of unusual stories, contacts Chain O'Brien Media just with a really innocuous request for additional information. And this unleashes a barrage of emails from a lady named Debbie Kuhn and Jane O'Brien, and they're threatening and demeaning because David Ferrier is an out gay man. And this is, in all caps, a completely heterosexual sport. And they, okay. They protested Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. for people who are engaged in a completely heterosexual sport and don't want any coverage of it. By a gay journalist. Yes. Oh, yes. Oh, they called him terrible names. Oh, yes. Terrible. So he involves his buddy, Dylan Reeve, in some internet research, and they find Nieder Dietson, which owns Jane O'Brien Media, and over 300 domain names, all related to tickling. Interesting. Then they get letters from an attorney telling them to cease and desist. Employees from Jane O'Brien Media show up to uh, work things out. And really, it's they're trying to dissuade and threaten and blackmail David Ferrier and Dylan Reeve into not making this film. Then we hear from TJ. He's a football player with money issues because of a sick family member. And he's like, it's some quick cash. I'll do it. Famous last words. Yeah, exactly. So he gets there and he thinks it's a little weird, but they tell him it's uh, the military is considering instituting tickle torture. Mm-hmm. And the, okay. they're, they're filming it. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is for the military, but that it's also going to be private videos and he ends up getting doxxed when he says when he has youtube take down a video of him that got released and they release everything his home address everything so david and dylan head to the u.s and they speak with a whole bunch of associates trying to get more information about the tickling ring and who the true ringleader is And uh, spoiler alert, not Jane O'Brien. And, oh, it wasn't Terry Tickle DeSisto either, which Mm -hmm. is another name that they had come across. It was a former educator and high school administrator, David D'Amato. So D'Amato's parents were wealthy. And while he didn't make a lot of money professionally, he had access to a sizable trust with a lot of money from his family in it. So they really uncovered the ins and outs of the tickling videos and the control of the participants and where Tomato's financing comes from. And we learn that it's less about tickling and far more about a pitiful man who found validation in power, control, and harassment. 
Oh, I did it. Done. You nailed it. <laughs> Ten seconds to spare. Oh, you nailed it. And you know what? It, I, thank you. Because I had more seconds. <laughs> but it does. It goes, it goes deep into it. It really does. And it starts asking a lot of interesting questions. And I can't, well, I can wait, but I can't wait. <laughs> I do, I, this is one of those things where I want to discuss it because it is really super weird mm-hmm. and there's a lot of layers, but it's also a little repulsive. Well, yes. And you and I like briefly, ever so briefly talked a little bit about this um, with our husbands. Yes, we did. And your husband watched it with you uh-huh. and your husband's reaction to this movie, told my husband, I really don't want to see this. And I yeah. said, that's fine. Yeah, my husband is like scarred. It. Yeah. <laughs> he is legitimately scarred. Oh, he, he really, really couldn't couldn't make it through this movie. Like, he did it, but he was it's legitimately upset. Let's, let's, yeah. So let's dive into so, this. So, Glenn Kenny of RogerEbert.com liked it. And I, I it was light. I mean, I mean, is that word you well. use here? <laughs> I, I don't know. Appreciated it? I can appreciate this film. The, well, this is what he said. He said they're in the most interesting position a journalist can find him or herself in, determined to get to the bottom of a story without having too much of an idea what the story really is. Uh, hence, all documentary. Ooh. Right? Like, no documentarian understands really what their story is, which I only, I only say that because I know that mm-hmm. my husband, being a filmmaker, right. has studied this. And really, no matter how much you try to control it, the story you tell at the end is hardly ever the story you actually set out to tell. Yeah. It it's always is different its own. than yeah. you intended. Yeah. He said, this is a movie that manages to be disquieting and entertaining simultaneously. Nailed it. Yeah. I was like, I feel dirty watching this, but I'm not going to turn it off. (laughs) (laughs) So true. (laughs) Nigel Smith of The Guardian uh, also liked it. (laughs) I I wish I could take a picture of your face (laughs) when you say the word liked. Because you say it, and it sounds like you said the word liked Normally, but I'm looking at you and I know that's not what happened. <laughs> the one thing that he noted that I found particularly that I also appreciated, mm-hmm. I agreed with it. The film doesn't look down its nose in those who like to engage in tickling. They didn't have a problem with the tickling. Ever. That's right. And that that's right. Yes. I appreciated that too, which is exactly what made David D'Amato that much more creepy. Yes, exactly. Because it's like he couldn't he couldn't just admit that he liked the tickling. Mm-hmm. Right. It was weird. Okay. So this wild ride gets wilder and weirder when you watch the follow-up documentary on HBO. Well, I guess it's all over now, but um, it's I watched it on YouTube. I, I did, too. That's where HBO. I watched it. It's called The Tickle King because t- t- David D'Amato went to a screening of the movie about him when they were having a Q&A. And it's weird, man. It's weird. And this is after, like, shoving cameras out of his face, like, doing everything he can. And he straights up 
shows up at the screening. Like I can't uh-huh. even they can't even get out of my mouth. I'm like, what? 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 Right. It's, it's weird. Just, it was, but it's absolutely delightful. It's fascinating because to watch him speak and and the filmmaker handles it so well. Yeah. He really does. He really does. And it, but it doesn't really tie up a whole lot of loose ends. No, it just makes it weirder. It just does make it weirder. And of course, you know, they're threatening to sue them still more yeah. again. It's all strange. But he's there and like kind of responding to some questions and not others. And it's weird. But I'm so glad that they documented it and that yes. they put it together in this documentary follow-up. Yes. You got to go watch the it's Tickled a, it's a, If you've watched Tickled, you've got to go. It's another 20 minutes. And this is l- much less about the tickling. It's more about... The crime. Show. Yeah. It's more about the bizarre relationship that these filmmakers had with David D'Amato. Right. And how intensely weird it is. So on March 13th, 2017, David D'Amato died. Oh, <laughs> I, I missed that completely. <laughs> I figured you probably did because you hadn't said anything about it when we were talking about <gasps> it. And I literally was like, no. Oh I'm my gosh. I'm, I'm floored. Ah, oh, I have no idea what to think about this. Oh my gosh. So David Ferrier and Dylan Reeve both wrote an article, Life After the Tickle King's Death. So it's like their whole like response to it. That, you know, they had a very nice whole thing. They put out a statement. This news is something that brings us no joy. We only met him twice. It's also clear that he had certain troubles. And those are troubles that we had hoped he would come to terms with at some point. I thought it was very... Classy. Yeah, like a really nice... And then, of course, people are like, are you sure he's dead? Yeah, I have that question right now. (laughs) They did get his death certificate. From New York State. Okay. And he died of a heart attack. But uh, Jane O'Brien Media is still a thing. This is my problem. Because I, I, this is why it's so shocking. Yes, because I sent you the Facebook page and just didn't tell you that. Yeah, because it's like active. <laughs> yeah. But there's like new faces and new, and new, and new like promo videos for the new um, young men uh-huh. that they're looking for to do the tickle thing. And like, it's very, very active. Who took over this? A guy named Louis Peloso, and uh, he got became in possession of all of the videos. And Tickletopia is now the site that he runs. Um, though on Facebook, it's still Jane O'Brien Media, but it's a little more open now that it's basically fetish films. A little bit, but it's very public. It's not uh, censored at all because there's not really anything to there's, technically censor. Yeah, there's no nudity. But if you really want to see the videos, you have to subscribe to Tickletopia. And I'm not doing that. Even in the interest of research for this no. podcast, I, I'm no. no. It's really not. And uh, Peluso's much more open about it because he does have a history of producing gay pornography. So he's taken it and kind of put the creepy away and just said, this is what it is. Yeah. yeah, Because that's what makes it creepy to me. Yeah. When they were trying to say it, that it was a sport and that it wasn't some kind of fetish film. Right. That's what made it creepy because I was like, it is just, it is what it is. And it's not me. And you do you. But at least why lie? Louis Peloso at one time told Nightline that David D'Amato had 
absolutely no connection with Jane O'Brien Media ever. Even though we know that for sure. We know for sure. That that's not true, that it was David D'Amato's thing. But then <laughs> he, he uh, reviewed his own Facebook page. Well, you can't. <laughs> Jane O'Brien Media and said. Uh, five stars, if I do say so myself, rest in peace, David. So, I mean, there's a connection there. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's so weird that they still deny it, but I guess, I don't know. I feel like there's just something way deeper here because I, okay, I say that knowing that in the five minute recap, you mentioned that David D'Amato needed validation, and he did that through sort of a control, which we saw in a lot of the interviews with people, how he, they controlled the participants, how the participants were harassed if they got outside the lines. And I think that that is where I, it gets really creepy because it's yeah. not just about producing some videos and things like that. This man actually had these people under his control. It and was like weird, creepy mafia stuff. So it like started... For him as a tickling fetish, mm-hmm. which is, you know, fine. Not my thing, but I no judgment. No judgment. But it became about power and control. Yeah, and it, and that's, it got really weird then. <laughs> uh, yeah. We don't believe that any of the young men in any of the videos knew or done previously with Jane O'Brien Media are being harassed with this, with their videos any longer. Well, they're, that's good. They're being sold as uh, fetish material. Okay, so they know what they're getting into now. They know what they're getting into now. Okay. And the previous videos are also being sold, but they don't have the men's full names on them, and they're on Tickletopia, So they're behind a paywall. They're behind a paywall. It's yeah, because this. that was what was so horrible, is that this, this, this man had lied and and swindled these guys. Now, the guys did get paid, but they kind of sold their whole identity away, and it was really sad. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome to the History Obscura podcast. This is the place where history's forgotten secrets are unshelved from my vast Firelit Book Repository, and reintroduce to the world. Learn stories of space exploration, medieval royals, smugglers, martyrs, and monsters. Subscribe to History Obscura for a fresh tale every Saturday and Tuesday night. Thanks for sticking with us through that quick break. Now I have, is it true? Well, a lot of it true. Yeah, well, because it is a documentary. Yeah. Uh, David Ferrier is indeed a journalist. He also created a documentary series for Netflix called Dark Tourist, where he visits obscure, peculiar, or dangerous tourist spots. I don't know why there are dangerous tourist spots. I don't know, but I want to watch that now. Yeah. But here's what's notable about uh, what he did in 2016 was... Do you remember, like, a few years ago, there were a lot of challenges that went out, like, to teenagers on social media? Like the ice water challenge. Well, that one was, like, raising money, and I think that's maybe kind of where they started. Okay. And then, but then there was, like, 
blinking and oh yeah yeah that maybe was earlier but there were a lot of weird yeah challenge. like the one where you plank cinnamon. on the car and yeah then there's like yeah the cinnamon the cinnamon challenge yeah okay so a lot of those were started by people with fetishes what in order to get videos made for them I a moment of silence hold on what I'm just I'm floored. In November of 2016, Ferrier wrote an article about individuals with various sexual fetishes issuing challenges or dares to children on YouTube, encouraging them them to make seemingly innocent videos of themselves. This led to several YouTube accounts being banned. Oh, heck to the no. Ah, I just, wow. Well, A, thank you for uncovering this uh-huh. so that we can uh, take some action because I got I got action for that. Oh, my gosh. This is, well, you know what? What's interesting is to all the new laws that came out with YouTube and how you have to say whether it's for kids or not. Yes. And then that allows them to scrub a certain way. Right. Right? Like, it allows them to scrub... The, the ones made for kids, but also the ones not made for kids in different ways to be more aggressive against uh-huh. exploitation. Yeah. And now I'm realizing, oh, wow. Uh-huh. Yeah. Thinking back to a lot of things. Yep. And I'm thinking, oh, yep. wow. Yep. Mm-hmm. He might not be even the most famous David Ferrier, though. Really? There, <laughs> there is a... Uh, a pioneering Scottish neurologist and psychologist who lived in the 1800s. He lived, he was uh, 1843 to 1928. And he was a scientific assistant to Alexander Bain, who was a founder of associative psychology. Hmm. I didn't know if that would be something you were familiar with. I mean, I'm kind of familiar with the general associative psychology you know, term, yeah. but, but these are not individuals I've studied much. Oh, okay. He uh, did some experiments on capuchin monkeys, I think. And uh, they studied brains of monkeys and figured out that electric stimulation of certain parts of the brain caused certain actions and that lesions would disrupt actions and things like that. And of course, this led to an issue of him experimenting on living creatures. Well, like it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And on the one hand, like really fascinating, interesting research still used to this day. I was about to say, see, those studies sound fairly familiar to me, but the name really wasn't oh, jumping okay. off the page. But when you say that, I do remember a little bit of, of that and where it led to it understanding, you know, right. what they do now with open brain surgery, you right. know, and exactly. how, they, how they handle that. So uh, apparently I need to uh, go crack <laughs> another book. Oh, I'm sure the if you need this information, it'll come to you. Or when you when you would get to that spot, yeah. and you'll be able to be like, oh, that was David Ferrier. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they're going to be like, Jackie is the smartest that. ever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't study a whole lot of like uh, neuropsychology. That's not really my thing. Although my sleep class, the sleep, the whole psychology of sleep, Uh you know, it kind of goes into that realm a little bit. Um, So that was probably the closest really that I've gotten other than a general, like I said, knowledge of some of those basic, you know, studies Uh from way back when before, you know, it's interesting because we banned all those now. 
Right. Except that they were so important. And so it's very strange because yeah. there's this ethical, like, fruit from a poisonous tree kind of thing going on. Except that, you know what? If we didn't do all that, we wouldn't know this. And it's an interesting ethical dilemma. It is interesting. Sort of like making a movie called Tickle. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, so TJ and many other participants were doxxed as part of D'Amato's power trip. So what is doxing? It is the internet-based practice of research and public broadcasting of private information. It'll be carried out for various reasons, because they want to harm people, harass people, extort them, shame them, coerce them, cause them business issues. Yeah, we've seen this actually sort of recently with, um, you know, addresses being published publicly for political reasons, Uh which resulted in demonstrations, which resulted in all kinds of wild rides. Um, And it's it's not very nice. Don't do that. The vigilante justice. Yeah, Yeah. it really is. But it has so much uh, adverse impact. Uh, Unintended kind of consequences. It can go much worse than you think, you know? And for a lot of people, it's like one of those, the punishment doesn't really fit the crime. Yes. You know? I mean, these crimes were, uh, we want you to take down the videos that you told us were for private use only. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, seems like a no brainer. Right. Like Like an absolutely reasonable request. Well, and what's sad is that the people who made the films, they basically get everything shared and their only mistake was being swindled. Right. It's not okay. Yeah. Their mistake was being a teenager or just out of their teenage years and trusting that somebody was going to follow through. Well, and maybe their only legitimate mistake was thinking you can get a lot of money really fast for Mm -hmm. doing something easy. Right. Right? But that's just a simple, there's no, I was actually having this conversation with our, with our kids because you know what? You could do something stupid on Snapchat and send it. And you know what? That can be screenshotted y'all. Like, there are ways that can be saved. It doesn't actually just disappear into the void. You know what I mean? And so, and that stuff can come back. And then it's unfair for for these kids and these young people to be punished so broadly for basic human growth mistakes. Right. <laughs> like, you know, it's sad. Exactly. Uh, and the term docs came from documents. Mm-hmm. That's what it's short for. Right. Yeah. Kind of, you know, WikiLeaks style. Right. Yeah. Well, and it became it became really entered public mainstream awareness uh, because the internet hacktivist group Anonymous used yes. used this a lot. Anonymous still does use this a lot. Yeah. But they have a broader, deeper cause that they're going for sometimes than your average like I don't know Usually. tickle fetish individual <laughs> who is doxing kids. Uh, speaking of those poor doxed kids, they basically have no legal recourse at all. So you're wondering why can't they use the revenge porn laws? Yeah. Yeah. Why can't they? Because they're not explicit enough. They're fully clothed. And oh. so it doesn't fall under the revenge porn laws. What, what about defamation and like... Those are expensive to, to, those are civil matters. They're not technically really breaking laws. 
And it's expensive to go after those things. So your non-consensual release of these films is a civil matter and you would have to pay people to, to enforce mm -hmm, the statutes, mm -hmm. but it's not criminal. Right. Oh yeah. It's a shame. It's a shame. Wow. That is a really sad. Hence why it's so creepy. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So D'Amato surmises that David and Dylan are there on tourist visas and he threatens them with INS. <laughs> Can you work on a tourist visa? Uh, no, not, not really. You can have your visa converted to a work visa, but it's a whole huge legal wrangling that has to do with it. But you have like a certain amount of time that you're allowed to be in the country. If you come into the country at the beginning of January, your visa will last for a certain amount of time, very often like six months. Mm -hmm. And you just have to leave the country before it's over. If you don't, then you start accruing unlawful presence. You, you don't really want to do that. No, <laughs> you, that's not a good idea. It's really not a good idea. And if you accrue more than 180 continuous days, but less than a year of unlawful presence. Mm -hmm. So if you come in on January 1st, you're supposed to leave by June 1st, mm -hmm. but you don't leave until December 31st then you'll have a re-entry bar of three years. So you okay. won't be able to come back to that country for three years. If it's more than a year, then uh, you can receive a 10-year ban. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's pretty, it gets pretty you serious. You don't want to do that. If you're going to work, if you find a job, if you're here on a tourist visa in the U.S. on a tourist visa and you get a job, you're going to want to have your status changed and you're going to need to work with your company on that. But David and Dylan were in the U.S. on a no tourist visa. They were here on a journalism yes, visa. Yes, it's an I-1 visa. And that is a non-immigrant visa. And it allows people to come to the United States expressly for the purpose of working in their profession. So uh, usually they have to have a press, radio, film, print, other types of media pass. Mm -hmm. They have to have an organization that they're working with. And it's usually issued for a year. Okay. Yeah. So you have time to kind of come back and yes, you can you can and you there's no leave limits. Right. So you can follow you, the story. You can you can follow the story all over the country. Mm -hmm. You can go home and then come back as long as it hasn't been a year and you don't need to apply for another visa. So in the year that they would have done that, 2014, there were 13,674 I-1 visas. Wow. That's a lot, it I guess. a lot. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe. I have nothing to compare that to. Yeah. <laughs> I so, mean, if we compare it to the size of our family. It's a lot. That's a lot of people. But like, if, if I compare it to like H-2P visas, you know, seasonal work and things of right. that sort, it's kind of smallish. Yeah. But it's more than I think I expected for media. Uh-huh. But all of a sudden, I'm thinking about it and going, oh, no, I guess that's 
it's smaller than I would expect it to be for media. We're such an international news. I would expect there'd be, but there's only so many correspondents. I don't know. I, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's an interesting conundrum. It, it seems it like a lot and not enough. Uh, not enough. Yeah. Exactly. All at kind of once. And so he threatens to throw him out because, or, or to have him them thrown out because they, he assumes a tourist. And then when he's here in the follow-up, he is all threatening them about laws of filming and things like that and threatening to throw him out of the country again. He kind of says that. And yeah. Like, it, like he's got the like power. Like he's got the, the power. I mean, let me just, tell you, that is just a man with too much money who thinks he can do anything to anyone. Yeah. He thinks he's the man in High Castle, man. That was a weird show. That was a weird show. <laughs> and it was kind of disappointing. I'm, not, I'm moving on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall down a rabbit trail. <laughs> Sorry. If I am not I careful. Start, <laughs> I showed it to you. I said, here is the door to the rabbit trail, Jackie. I, I feel like, no, I feel like you like threw a tennis ball down it. I was like, yay! <laughs> Uh, back, back, back. Uh, all right. Okay. So what else? What else we got here? Because our, I mean, our psych break. Oh, do we have to go? Here? <laughs> um. Okay. <laughs> I'm gonna. No, try we do. To, we have to go here. I'm not. I'm. Mm, I'm not gonna do too much. You can talk about whatever you like, but mine aren't terribly uh, troubling. Oh, thank goodness. <laughs> So, D'Amato, as Jane O'Brien from Jane O'Brien Media, and Deborah Kuhn, uh, called David Farrier disordered because of his homosexuality. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Uh, It hasn't been a disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM, which you've referred to several times yes. before, uh, since 1973. Yeah, it's been a while, folks. It's been a yeah. while. It has been a long time. And there were three theories of homosexuality, that it was a pathology. In other words, it was a defect of some way, that it was immaturity, that everyone should pass through a basically a period of homosexuality and their normal sexual development and leave it. And those who do not are therefore immature in some way. And the one that they landed on is that it's a normal variation. Yes. And you know, I, I appreciate that in the psychological community that they take the time to grow and understand because that's what it takes sometimes is you have to sort of grow and understand. And all of those theories, there was reason reasons why people thought that many cultural right. uh, reasons but also a lack of understanding a lack of study because of cultural reasons you know people don't think about this but sometimes we don't know something because culture actually sort of prevents us from studying it oh so when we say there's cultural reasons it's because uh-huh. well if a culture demonizes homosexuality it means it can't really be studied because your subject pool is so narrow to those very few people who are deviant enough from society as a whole to come out of the closet and say yes study me which inherently makes them a little different than the average population wow but, and so and so you get some information but you really get this very specific information about these very extroverted very willing to kind of be antisocial but in a positive way these are different t- sorts of people and so it takes a long time for stigma to to reduce enough that then science can study it enough which is why wow. a lot of the theories are very armchair thinking. People are just like, I'm not really sure. And they do what they can. Huh. That's interesting. Fetishes. 
they're really like, oh, according to Mark Griffiths in Psychology Today, he did some reading about fetishes mm-hmm. and that uh, there was another gentleman by the name of uh, Martin Kafka in 2010, so not the long ago Kafka <laughs> who wrote weird stuff that I had to read in college. Um, <laughs> he said he thought that uh, partialism was different from fetishism. So partialism is I am partial to hands, feet, hair, a non-erogenous zone right. of a person. And that fetishism was more about non-living objects and body parts. And uh, Dr. Griffiths doesn't agree with that. He says that he thinks it's all really one and the same. And that uh, partly because it's not all about eroticism, that sometimes it's about relaxing. Mm -hmm. That uh, particularly people who are transvesticism is what it's called, where they like to dress in the opposite gender's clothing, that it makes them feel relaxed and they're not necessarily homosexual because they're dressing as the opposite gender. I'm like, man, that's okay. That's interesting. But they have found that fetishism might be linked with other psychiatric behaviors. Fetishes aren't typically a disorder, unless it interferes with your normal life. Right. But it might go hand in hand with things that are disorders like kleptomania, borderline personality disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, attention and hyperactivity disorder. Those things might go with it. The most common categories, and I'm only going to mention them because I think David D'Amato maybe fell into a couple of these. Okay. um, Was that there is a, body part fetish and object associated with the body part. So feet or shoes mm-hmm. an object not associated with the body part. So like candles and wax or whatever a person's own behavior, the behavior of other people and behavior requiring interaction with others. So like mm-hmm. BDSM role play humiliation, all right. that stuff's usually consensual, though. Exactly. And it, it's worth mentioning. And I think that that's, that's where he, David D'Amato was maybe disordered because his pleasure came from non-consensual actions. That's exactly right. It and that's was, what's so creepy about it because there was a deceit going on for these young men who he was recruiting through these means that were very nefarious. And he appreciated their innocence in the situation Uh he appreciated things about them that made it he didn't um, appreciate their innocence he exploited their innocence well that's true i'm using that word i'm trying to be nice (laughs) and you're exactly right yeah he he actually maybe even fetishized about the the innocence of what he was going after it was it was it was non-consensual and it was about control yeah and if that's a power struggle and Ooh, yeah, it's hard because that's, that's criminal, gross. right? And that's why you want these guys to be able to sue because they ought to be able to show that hey, this is. But we're not there yet as a society. Right. We're not ready to admit that kind of uh, that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. That that's maybe criminal, and I understand why because I don't like to use slippery slopes. But it will take a long time to understand the ramifications, the adverse impact, and the ways that even laws that are meant to help people like this could be exploited for bad. 
So I, it would take a long time for us to be there because that's a whole world of thinking. That is a culture shift that has to change. It would be a culture shift, and there would have to be a lot of wise people writing writing those laws mm-hmm. and writing the statutes. Right. You know, it, it would be very, very difficult. So mm-hmm. I, my heart goes out to these guys who are exploited. Yep. Me too. Me too. All right, real life. Real life. Yeah, the Dream Factory studio in Los Angeles. That's yeah. where uh, that's where they filmed the uh, uh the Los Angeles portion when they weren't filming in hotel rooms. They filmed at the Dream Factory, uh, which is uh, lovely, and it boasts a natural light, Oh, which is kind of cool. That is nice. And it's uh, pretty affordable. They, they can rent you your photography equipment if you want to do still photos or uh, filming. Mm-hmm. Um, they can do that. It was like for a full day of video filming without the equipment. I mean, they charge different rates yeah. for, for the studios based on what you're doing in them. It was only like $1,300 a day. Like oh, no wonder they went, no wonder they went there. Well, seriously. Yeah. I mean, so they interviewed Hal Carp, who was a former journalist and he has a really fascinating story about, uh, D'Amato, and he actually helped in this documentary. Oh. I mean, other than just being interviewed, which we saw him interviewed. We did. Yeah. So he was an investigative journalist in Dallas, and years and years beforehand, in back in 2000, he was de- uh, developing a story about cyber angels, which were uh, online semi-vigilante people helping people who've been doxxed and different things. People helping clean that up before anybody really realized, like, because the crime leads the way, right? Unfortunately, a I lot mean, of times it really does. It, it does. The, the crime led the way. The police don't know how to catch up. And so there was this space for cyber angels. So he was working, uh, Hal was, was working with these cyber angels. And he said as part of his research, he really wanted to speak to somebody that had a true story that they'd helped. And so one of them involved Terry DeSisto. Oh. Terry Tickle. Terry Tickle. Terry Tickle, who we hear lots about in this documentary. Yes, we do. And... She's supposedly a college-age girl in Boston collecting tickling videos of teenage boys and paid them well because she was weird. And so he ended up, Hal did, talking with a 16-year-old boy (gasps) in Australia named Gary. Gary had made videos for Terry. Oh. And uh, Terry didn't like being told no when he decided he wasn't going to make them anymore. So she stole his identity. David D'Amato stole his identity, hacked Gary's website, went online pretending to be Gary, sent him pictures of his house and his family, insinuated, and his school. Isn't that awful? I know where I know where you live. I know who your family is. I know who you spend time with. Oh, because, you know, he hired a private investigator, I'm sure, just like he did for the documentarians. Gary had reached out to the cyber angels asking for help. And one of them provided Gary with a zip file and said, send this to Terry and she'll leave you alone. I guarantee it. And so Gary was like, 
here, Hal, have the zip file that I didn't look at, but got her to leave me alone. And he, cause he didn't really understand what he had and what he was looking at. And somebody hacked David D'Amato's hard drive. And this was its contents, his resume, the stolen social security numbers that he'd been using, PO boxes, all the stuff that he was doing. And every time David D'Amato moved to a new school because he moved schools like every year or two. Of course he did. Uh huh. He says it's called passing the trash, that because of the unions, it can be very difficult and expensive to take care of these people in the educational system the way they need to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. And so they give them, if you'll leave, we'll give you a good reference. Yeah, there's another term for it called the dance of the lemons. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. But every time he went to a new school, Terry DeSisto got a new P.O. box near the school. Mm, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't that creepy? Yeah. 16. I mean, it still shocks me to hear it. You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Bad. So they know who this person is, but they don't name David D'Amato, in the article that Hal wrote. Okay. uh, Because they had learned that his dad was an attorney and a powerful one, and they wanted to avoid the lawsuits. I understand. Enter the filmmakers. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But he had almost got it on America's Most Wanted, and then they decided to pass on it, but somebody at America's Most Wanted mentioned it to the FBI that Hal had this information and the FBI went to him and said, we need it. Yeah. We need it. They turn, he turned over all the information and the FBI said they've been trying to find his identity for years. Oh my gosh. But they couldn't do it because they couldn't do the hacking. That's they, against the law. No, they can't. But they can get the hacked material from somebody else. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's how they finally got him. Oh. And he did end up going to jail for a year. They mentioned that in the documentary right. as well. Then they contacted the filmmakers contacted Hal. Yeah. And he was very wary at first. He thought it was another ploy by David yes. D'Amato to get information. And then he finally realized that they were real and they were able to prove it to him. And he actually not only agreed to be in the film, but he went to New York and Los Angeles with them. And so when occasionally you'll see both David and Dylan, mm-hmm. On screen at the same time, and I'm like, who's filming? How? How was filming? Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm glad he. I'm glad he came around, and I'm glad he was more involved than I realized. Even mm-hmm. because, yeah, that's. I mean, wow, what a lot of work, you know. But what a lot of validation well, to I have mean, the filmmakers kind of come and then like. It's like, oh, what a lot of validation that he must have gotten that, you know, he did all this work Mm -hmm. to do the investigative reporting. And then the FBI used it to nail this guy, even though they weren't able to nail him very well. No, but I mean, still, yeah, he did something. He did something good for the world. Yeah. They tacked him to the wall instead of nailing him to it. (laughs) Uh, Deborah Skoblyankov. 
was the reporter who was uh, covering the cyber attacks on college campuses. Um, now she's a wine critic for Philly.com. Rockin'. Yeah. Understand it. I'm like, that sounds good. So Jordan Shalachi, he was doing the recruiting for the tickling videos in Muskegon, Wisconsin, which is you know kind of a small town with a lot of crime. And he died in a motorcycle accident oh. last year, August of 2019 and um it's interesting because just a few weeks prior to that one of his best friend dean diltz died at the same intersection on a motorcycle and i could not find any information to say if dean diltz was at all involved in the tickling information oh that's weird but that is that is one of those do you believe in coincidences because that's a heck of a one that yeah, I mean, it's probably a coincidence. They're both motorcycle riders. Yeah, but at the same intersection? That seems it, a weird. Month, a month apart? A month apart? Mm, I don't know. All right, so uh, Romeo Salta, the attorney. Yeah. He sent, uh, he said he sent only one letter mm-hmm. to David and Dylan. Which was weird because there was, was many letters. Because there were a whole bunch of letters. Yeah. And Jane O'Brien Media had listed his address as their headquarters. Yeah. Which was weird because he didn't seem to know anything about that. But he has an uh, interesting additional connection to David D'Amato. What? Okay. So there was a Netflix documentary series called Don't F with Cats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you, did you watch that at all? I didn't watch it, but I mean, I saw it advertising, well, cats, and so I paid attention. It's troubling. Maybe don't. Oh, it's not funny? Oh. Oh, I thought it was supposed to be, like, funny. Oh, oh, no. Oh. Oh, no. It's extremely troubling animal abuse and all kinds of things. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. But. Oh. <laughs> The uh, young man who was the focus of that investigation okay. is a kid named Luca Magnata, okay. who's in prison because he killed somebody. The attorney that represented Luca Magnata was Romeo Salta. Okay. And evidently, David D'Amato had, had Luca Magnata recruiting kids for his tickling video. Uh, there's this whole like what weird connection. So oh, it's it, I oh. mean it, what, Luca was a sex worker. Okay, like a highly paid, highly sought after one, and apparently that he used those connections to also recruit people for tickling videos. But then he also had eventually some sort of physical relationship with David D'Amato. And Where do the cats come in? Uh, what? He murdered cats. What? How you don't, I mean, what? Did I bury the lead? Sorry. Holy crap. He murdered cats. Why would he murder on, cats? On video. <gasps> and that's why, that's what it is. Oh, that's, oh, that's why oh. there were a whole bunch of internet sleuths who were like looking at like the backgrounds of these videos to try and figure out where this guy was. Small cats? Like, yes. He like put them in space bags and suck all the air out. It was awful. This, this is horrific. Yeah. This is horrific. And you know what? That just makes the whole fetish thing weirder because they're somehow linked. It is a rabbit hole. I spent probably two hours yesterday. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Doing, do, trying really to figure creepy. out the connection. And then I was like, I need to 
not See, do this. This is why it's not a real it's not really a fetish. This is why it's about power, control, and violence. Yes. Because um well, I'm glad I never watched that. I'd have been horrified. I I, I don't it's remember anything about the fascinating. It's ah. so interesting, but it's awful. It's awful. Kind of um, like this, but like mm-hmm. longer. <laughs> and yeah. It does say something about my humanity that I'm like tickled. Okay, I'll watch it. It's horrifying. <gasps> Cats, no. Yeah, well, and sorry. that was the whole point was <laughs> that they are like, oh, don't mess with cats. Because yeah. the internet loves cats they, we and do. they will come after you. It's really kind of interesting, isn't it? I don't know. <laughs> yep. Oh, that was creepy. All yeah, of it was that's creepy. A, yeah. All of it's weird. All, all of it's creepy. Weird. All of it's sad. All of it's weird. All It's a train wreck. You just it is. cannot you can't look help away it. from it. Yep. Yep. This was, uh, I really appreciate how the filmmakers approached it, handled it. They did actually make a quite entertaining film. Yeah, yes. Despite the uh, oddity, it was actually entertaining. Well, and you wanted to find out, like, what was going to happen, even though we didn't really get very many clear answers. No, we didn't. Because, which... but I think there, there's a way deeper story here, too. I think so, And too. that I think it's way creepier and more troubling than either you or I realize. I think it's probably far more criminal. I think you're right. I think you're right. Where's Rico? Come on. Yeah, yes. Come on, get some Rico on this get, mess. With the get these wise guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so next time. Next time. <laughs> I, I, I need this break, and I'm so excited that we chose to do this. Yeah, I, I was like, we've done a few documentaries, and they're kind of heavy. And I think you want something a little lighter. Yes. And so I suggested white collar, and you like jumped up and down. And I'm like already watching it. <laughs> I was already watching it when you said it, which is why I was like, yes, 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 this one, this one, this one. Yeah. Um, because I just started watching it again recently because oh, I've watched okay, the whole, you know, yeah. series. And See, and I've never seen any never of it. You've never seen it. Yeah. It's so it. good. Yeah. I'm and and enjoy it. It's my new binge. It is your new binge. <laughs> it's a, oh, it's a, quote, beautiful, beautiful series. Oh my gosh. I just looked at the like IMTB page for uh-huh. it real quick. Uh-huh. And he's gorgeous. Gorgeous. I don't even know what his character name is. I don't know the actor's name, but I pulled it up and I was like, oh, he's pretty. Matt Bomber. Okay. And yes, he is. He is beautiful and he's very suave. But, you know, like the whole cast, I mean, oh, our Kelly is in it. What? As in Zach and Kelly. Mm. And okay. she is absolutely delightful. Okay. And the guy who plays Peter Burke is That's amazing. That's not the R. Kelly that I went to. Oh, not because I, like, oh, <laughs> I said our Kelly. Yeah. Like, our, our, yeah, our, our Kelly. Kelly. Not R. Kelly. Uh-huh. No, I was our like, Kelly. I don't know if I want to watch it if R. Kelly's in it. No, no, no. That's, no, there's no remix to Ignition oh, going on here. Um, no, our Kelly, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, uh-huh. is in it, and she's delightful. And and I can't remember the actor's name right now, but he plays the uh, the FBI agent, Peter Burke, and he is awesome in everything he's in. So awesome. He, well, it's we'll really about, fun. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about it. Yes. But we'll do that next time. So thanks so much for listening. Do tell a friend because it's way more fun when you listen to a friend rate and review whenever you get your podcasts because that does help us get found. So Apple Podcasts, of course, King, but uh, anywhere else too. 
That's awesome. And, you know, just tell a friend. Yeah, it's way more just, fun. Share. Let's yeah. do this together. Yeah, yeah, send yeah. us some uh, messages. Hit us up on the DM. Send us some emails. You can find us on Facebook at Killer Fun Podcast, exploring the intersection of crime and entertainment. Or you can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod. Or you can send us an email, killerfunpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, be safe, be kind, and wash your hands. <laughs> See you next time. Bum, bum, bum. Bye. Da, 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 da.